Welcome to the discussion, Technology and Great Power Competition, AI, Complexity and Competition, sponsored by Palantir. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Aki Jain, the Chief Technology Officer and President for US Government for Palantir. Aki, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion. Only today are agencies starting to realize the power and potential of true artificial intelligence. Over the past few years, the, de the Defense Department specifically has invested a great deal of time, money, and effort to lay the foundation to make better use of its data through tools and capabilities that rely on artificial intelligence. Starting in 2017, DoD saw the handwriting on the wall as near-peer competitors like China and Russia accelerated their efforts to apply AI to weapons and systems. The Congressional Research Office in the November 2020 report said that DoD must work through distinct challenges to further take advantage of AI's real and potential benefits to military operations. Among the questions the CRS posed include, what type of military AI applications are possible and what limits, if any, should be imposed? What unique advantages and vulnerabilities come with employing AI for defense? And how will AI change warfare and what influence will it have on the military balance with US competitors? Well, to help answer those questions and many others, let's turn to Aki Jane, the Chief Technology Officer and President of US Government with Palantir. Instead of trying to answer all those questions right away, let's just start mm -hmm. at the beginning. A lot of people define AI differently. In the CRS report, they had definitions going back to 90, 1993, 1992, robots, and yeah. you know, uh, you know, the Terminator movies, right? But I think we have a better definition, a better sense of really what AI means. So let's start with that initial definition. How, how does Palantir and others start to define it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think at Palantir, we really think about AI as ultimately a means to an end. So. The interesting question for us is what outcomes is that commander or that warfighter or that user in the DOD really trying to achieve with AI? And as opposed to getting tied up with, you know, how do I define AI or AGI or something like that, uh, what is the thing I'm trying to achieve? And I think we, we really see in this moment there's kind of um, two things that the department is demanding, right? The first is um, decision decision space or decision advantage, right? Uh, we have so much data that's available to us and only more data coming online, it's impossible for a human to sift through all that. So how do I ultimately enable uh, my warfighter, my analyst, my operator to leverage that data um, in order to have some kind of decision advantage? That's kind of the first thing that's really the use case that we're seeing for AI given the deluge. The second one is really thinking of AI as a teammate. Right, uh, just like you have uh, other folks that you work with uh, on a on a team to achieve some kind of outcome, how do I ultimately enable AI to be more seamless, to be a trusted teammate in solving a problem with me? Right. Sometimes that's dealing with the deluge of data. Sometimes it's just helping me look at new perspectives uh, uh, with that data that might you know suggest a particular course of action. So I think those are really the two specific use cases, you know, kind of at a high level. Uh, and then there's a hundred different uh, work streams that one might pursue within those use cases that we think are the key problems problems to apply AI to today. Do you get a sense that we're talking about true AI, which again, we're not really sure. defining what that is, but, but versus predictive analytics, yeah. versus machine learning, versus something else that just has that title of AI? At this point, really what folks are generally applying is machine learning and, and honestly techniques that are you know, decades old at this point, but now that you have uh, pervasive commercial compute available, we have, again, more data than we've ever had prior, and we have um, kind of the, the, the data science and the computer science has gotten to the point where for certain domains, computer vision being one of the most common ones folks talk about, uh, you can use some of those machine learning techniques to actually effectively pattern match and do certain types of predictive work uh, on top of those data sets in ways that enable uh, the warfighter and the operator. So really, that's, that's kind of what we're seeing the most. 
Um, the other area that I think we're seeing uh, some really cool innovation uh, is in the robotic process automation space. You know, UiPath is doing a great job there. Uh, really helping kind of those folks whose, whose eyes are bleeding processing paper forms that are filled out by soldiers around the department, um, helping them automate and enhance and actually ultimately better serve those soldiers in the business processes uh, uh, that we've seen. So I think RPA is kind of another area where we're seeing um, some really good use cases and outcomes. I love the fact you make that connection back to RPA because a lot of people say, oh, RPA, it's dumb AI, right? That's not yeah. smart AI. It's not the future of AI. Yeah. But the impact RPA is having, there's actually just a new report out from the uh, community of interest for RPA about mm -hmm. the state of RPA in government and, and the state is strong, so without a doubt. Well, Everyone's using it. And, you know, and to your point, actually, I, and we should also be, you know, we, this is why I kind of think of AI is it's one of the arrows in our quiver, right? And it's really easy to go around and say, let's use AI and everything. Uh, for a lot of the problems that the department is actually facing, especially in, in kind of the sensing world, AI isn't actually the best technology to apply. Uh, traditional algorithmic approaches, like, you know, there's probably an engineer at, um, at your favorite large SI that's been studying a radar system for the last 25 years. I'm going to bet on that human and their ability to write an algorithm, a basic algorithm, any day over a particular machine learning or, or other approach to, to one of those problems. Um, uh, and so, you know, you just got to find the right place to apply it. And I think that gets back to the data piece that you mentioned. There's kind of two ways agencies or DODs using it. One is focused on how to make the data more valuable. The second is the, as the teammate. So let's maybe go down that path of data. Palantir is known for mm -hmm. big data, being a big data organization. Uh, what is the challenge of applying AI to data? <clears throat> how to get your data ready, the structured versus unstructured discussion. Let's walk yeah. down that path. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I think ultimately, you know, for the last 17 years, uh, you know, Palantir has really been kind of uh, uh, kind of screaming from the top of the mountains, like it's all about the data, right? Um, uh, you know, ultimately, if we can get on top of our data, whether you know our initial mission was making that data kind of break down data silos, uh, but then securely enabling intelligence analysts to make sense of that data while protecting privacy and civil liberties, right? Uh, and so, if you really think about it, it's always been about the data for us, and the analytic component on top of that kind of critical data organization, data management, data security. Uh, and, and auditability uh, has always been what we thought about. Uh, in fact, we were quite skeptical of AI for a long time. Um, so in the last few years, really, you know, I think because you've seen a convergence now, we've got cloud computing, we've got pervasive GPU uh, access. We have a set, of, um, a set of problems, frankly, that are well-oriented for using AI and machine learning techniques. Um, you know, that's kind of where we really dove in and tried to enable them. But the core of what we really believe is that uh, whether it's a, uh, a human another machine or an algorithm, um, what you're trying to ultimately do is enable some kind of collaboration across all those parties to enable them to make a better combined decision to drive some kind of outcome. So everything we do is about in an operational context, again, whether you're on the Intel community side or the defense side, but in an operational context, how am I leveraging every piece of data that I can possibly get access to, subject to security, in order to make the best possible decision in that moment. And what DOD is looking at this, and not just DOD, but really all agencies, is mm -hmm. how to get faster at that decision making and yeah. how can tools like AI and others really get you to that point. Are, are you starting to see it happening today? Is, is mm -hmm. when we may get to some of the use cases and, and yeah. we may get to the more anecdotes later, but, but is where, where is DOD specifically on that kind of spectrum of, hey, are we driving faster decisions? 
Absolutely. I think if you look at some of the work that's been happening through the Global Information Dominance Experiment, uh, some of the work you look at with Scarlet Dragon, uh, the work that's coming out of a number of different exercises around the department, uh, and then you kind of level set that all with the DEPSECDEF's DOD data decrees, um, the work that's going into the new CDAO role and kind of shaping that, kind of the work that you know uh, Dave Spurk and the CDO's office have done, uh, along with many others, uh, you're seeing actually one uh, I think the department is starting to really come to terms with and get a grip on their data. Two, uh, they're figuring out how to govern it and how to prevent kind of more stovepipes from from uh, uh, being created. Um, so you know, if you're going to do something new, you you got to bring it to the consensus. Three, they're applying it not just in the warfighting and operational domain, but they're actually applying it in their business systems, right? Um, and they're using it to ultimately drive better decisions. Uh, if you take a program like Army Vantage, um, they put out a press release um, about some of the work they've done in kind of the ELO space or unliquidated obligations. This is a set of you know, Army finance experts, so it's not necessarily third-party contractors or palantir people, but Army um, finance experts who were finally able, I mean, they're saving the Army on the order of a billion dollars a year by their own estimation, based on analysis they were finally able to do because they could get access to data and get the right analytic tools and capabilities on top of it to make sense of it. And that's, I think you see there's a there's hundred other examples of that across the department uh, that are really encouraging. You mentioned Scarlet Dragon, that was a show we did on this show, and the mm -hmm. interview I did on this show, so if folks want to find that, they can obviously, I'll do a self-plug here, find it on federalnewsnetwork.com <laughs> backslash Palantir. You'll hear that again later on. Yeah. But I think that's a really interesting interview, and I think there's a lot going on within the Army about that specifically. When we talk about the other point you're talking about was making AI a teammate, a partner, and again, I think that gets into not just the data side, but mm -hmm. understanding the use case. How, do, how can I apply it and what benefits should I expect or what outcome am I trying to achieve? I think a lot of times what happens in not just government, but I think the private sector too, is they get excited about a, a new technology, the shiny yeah. object syndrome. We hear that all the time. Do you think that DoD is starting to kind of get a better sense of, okay, what am I really trying to achieve and where can I plug that AI algorithm in or, or that other technology in? Yeah, I think we're seeing a, an absolute shift there. I, I kind of think about it, uh, if you look at it as akin to like the adoption of cloud computing, right? Um, so I, I think probably, you know, for the first couple of years of, of the cloud being available uh, and then, you know, classified environments starting to come online, um, there was kind of a, a lot of money spent in a lot of little pockets to just experiment to get uh, the skill set of our IT folks, of our operators, of our analysts up to snuff with what that technology was. Um, and there was almost kind of like, you know, I think about it as like the zero to one phase of adopting the cloud. Um, you kind of have to let, you have to let, because uh, there's an organizational behavior change that you're really desiring here or looking for, you have to let people kind of soak in the thing and figure it out, figure out where it works, where it doesn't work, and, and kind of find a couple of things that really come out of that uh, in order to then figure out what the longer term strategy of the department should be on it and how they should adopt it. And we see that with JWCC coming, you know, kind of there's a path there that makes, I think makes sense. Um, the, 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 when I think about kind of the AI journey, I think really um, it's, folks have been working on it for a while and there's a lot of experiments and a lot of pockets of the department uh, that have clearly, um, <coughs> I think, borne some fruit. Um, not all of them have been super successful, but when you look at things like RPA, or you look at some of the CV algorithms, some of the things that Colonel Callahan talked about with respect to Scarlet Dragon, um, there are clearly some use cases that really work and, and can be applied operationally today. 
Uh, when you hear what General Van Herc is talking about with what they're doing on decision advantage and how they're leveraging AI in that, you can see that there's some stuff that really works. And so um, I think that what we're really seeing and what we're finding is that like we've come through to zero to one. And folks kind of have a couple of use cases, uh, at least, that they can see where AI as a teammate um, can be really valuable. And then I think they found a set of other problems that are going to require a longer tail of work. And don't get me wrong, that's not work we should put off into the future. You have to start now, right? Uh, the thing about AI is that you know you can't. There's no cheat code. You can't. Uh, you don't get to like skip a bunch of steps, like you know, like cram for the exam and, and kind of deliver. Um, you actually have to start now and leverage the operational data. I mean, that's that's what we are excellent at as, as a country in order to start to inform those long-term three to five-year bets. And we see that from AFC and others who are doing really great work there. Uh, and so it's just kind of a long way of saying. I think folks have figured out what kind of works and we can apply now. How are we going to fight tonight? And I, I think we're starting to see adoption of that through things like the DepSecDef's ADA initiative, for example. And then I think folks have kind of put a few other problems in categories that are going to take a lot longer, right? So, so I think that some of those problems are really hard and they're going to take a really long time. And I think AFC is putting points into uh, actually figuring some of those things out through Project Convergence and a few other things. And so that's really exciting. But I think people have kind of stratified what's long term, what's near term, what are we going to use today? And there's that pressure coming from the near peer competitors, of course, yeah. as I talked about at the beginning, what the Congressional Research Service found with China and Russia really kind of pressing on the US. Uh, I think that's the other piece that's happening is, is there's that outward pressure that, you know, there's always external to, to shiny object, but then that outward pressure yeah. going, you got to move faster. So I think that's also driving some of those timelines. You know, can we stay ahead of or at least be equal to Yep. those others, and I think you probably hear that a, a fair amount. A fair amount, I, and I think ultimately, you know, I think this is why I kind of break it into the, what would I use if I had a fight tonight, versus what would I, what do I hope to have in three years to have some kind of, um, some kind of broader advantage, obviously, in that, in any, any uh, either deterrence or, or potentially defeat mission. Right. On that note, let's take a quick break. We can come back, we can talk about what some of those challenges that DoD is facing today and in the future. You're listening to the discussion, Technology and Great Power Competition, AI, Complexity, and Competition, sponsored by Palantir on Federal News Network. With the threats to our nation evolving and growing in complexity, the right technology is essential to the decision-making process. For over a decade, Palantir has proudly partnered with the U.S. government and the private sector to help solve the world's hardest problems. From pandemic response to military mission planning to supply chain challenges and beyond, decision-makers need solutions that meet their needs now. And Palantir provides the foundational software of tomorrow delivered today. To get started, visit Palantir.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Technology and Great Power Competition, AI, Complexity and Competition, sponsored by Palantir on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Aki Jane, the Chief Technology Officer and President of U.S. Government for Palantir. Now, Aki, for a break, we were talking about this idea of, of AI and where it fits in the DoD, kind of some of the idea of use cases, how they're defining it. And I think one of the things we should go down the path of is because this came out in the Congressional Research Service report from November 2020, is one big challenge is so much of this is being done in the private sector. Mm -hmm. Some of this is being pushed out by, by, by folks like Palantir. Uh, is, is that a challenge for DOD? Because you know, do they have to bring it in and then modify it? And then that causes a whole other set of problems, as we've seen for decades, that as soon as you start changing the technology instead of changing your processes, mm -hmm. that, that all of a sudden now we're talking about a billion dollars here and a billion dollars yeah. there and we have real money. No, absolutely. It's a great question. So I, I think there's a few things. So one, uh, let's not forget the organizational behavior change. Absolutely. Culture needs to change. The behavior of 
people need to change and the processes ultimately need to change. They need to be updated and informed for this advanced technology that is, that is now available and can uh, honestly improve a lot of those processes and, and kind of focus our human capital on the really hard problems, uh, not kind of the rope tasks. Again, why RPA is such an interesting technology to look at. Some of the CV applications are really interesting to look at. Um, having said all that, I think when, when I look at, um, if you were to compare kind of the advent of the internet and, and kind of like uh, uh, how things kind of started there really on the defense side and kind of how the world, if they had paid attention to what was going on in DOD and other places, would have seen the future, right? They would have understood the interconnected world and a version of that. Um, and kind of networks and um, technology for telecommunications and other things, you've just seen uh, kind of DOD uh, being quite a bit ahead on all those things. I think when it comes to AI, and I actually think more and more we're starting to see this actually in the space kind of domain as well, um, I think you're seeing innovation from the commercial sector, um, and in particular the consumer aspects of the commercial sector leading, right? And I, I just, you know, use the simplest possible example here. Um, you know, uh, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, if you were buying a house, uh, how would you understand what comps are? Well, hopefully you've got a competent real estate agent. You know, they do some comps for you. They give you an idea, and then you bid on it. Now you can walk down any street in America. You can pop up Zillow or Redfin, and you can understand every house that sold on that block, how much it sold for, who it sold to, and kind of get some kind of prediction on kind of where that market's going based on all the different signals and inputs that they have. And I think what um, what that provides to the consumer is a form of decision advantage. You know, should they be looking to buy a house? Um, but really, if you think about it, if I'm a, a commander um, and I'm trying to make a good decision, but I'm spending 80% of my time working for the data versus the data working for me, and then I get like a minute of five minutes to make a really important decision, um, I need to flip that paradigm. And I think we've seen that happen in the consumer space more and more, um, and they're kind of leading. And so the question is uh, kind of twofold. What, one, how do we take and recognize those innovations and those um, capabilities and adopt them for DoD, right? Because some of those techniques are things that um, are very easily adoptable. Some of them aren't. Um, and then second, where are there things that already exist in DoD I can just wholesale take and bring into, right? I don't have to reinvent or adopt or do any work to get there. And I think that um, what we found through our experience working with the department and frankly a lot of other commercial software companies, because we don't actually build models, right? Uh, we enable AI and machine learning operations, we enable data management, but we don't build models, right? We don't build and sell models. And so um, we work with a lot of other partners, both very, very small startups to some of the largest companies in the country uh, who are serving the department and doing great work. And in all those cases, what we've really found is it's a mix of the two. Typically they have a commercial baseline, it can be adopted and trained and improved, uh, you know, what they call transfer learning, uh, to help meet DOD's requirements. Um, sometimes it's, it's not the case, and you really do need that you know, radar engineer who's been studying a thing for 25 years, and you know, they see stuff in what looks like the matrix to me. Um, in that case, you need to bring the tooling, not the, actual, not, not the underlying model, over to the department and then give it to that person to enable them to kind of do the work. Um, but we're seeing great fits for both of those things and actually really rapid acceleration of DOD's outcomes. The last part of that that I would just flag is, uh, I think it's very important to, flat, you know, to, to, to highlight, um, there's a big difference between figuring out how to buy a house and the consequences. You know, maybe there's huge consequences to you personally versus something that could be involved with uh, you know, informing a decision maker who has a responsibility for 20 million Americans and, and kind of their safety and security uh, uh, around that. So we should be clear, there are different stakes, and there does need to be regulatory oversight, 
uh, ethical considerations and other things. And I think DOD is working through that um, actually a pace to what I would hope they would be doing um, and trying to govern in that way. But there's still some work to do. I want to go down that path in a second, but let me yep. just come back to one thing. I love the idea of we've got to flip the paradigm around commander instead of spending 80% of their time working to get their data yep. and, and then making a decision, but spending time using the data to make a decision. Is that those things that you mentioned, like Project Convergence, like Scarlet mm -hmm. Dragons, that's, that's what's showing them how to, how to flip the script? Yeah, I, I think um, I think they're all in different places. I think um, Scarlet Dragon in particular, um, and kind of just riffing on some of the things that I think Colonel Callahan had shared, um, is a place where you're very explicitly seeing that. You know, it's how do we make a thousand decisions in an hour, right? And it is about the decision, right? It's ultimately that that end user goal that they're trying to achieve. Um, and then I think things like Project Convergence are really a little bit more kind of forward-leaning. They're trying to think about where do we need to be three to five years from now to have that decision advantage. And frankly, that, that deterrence advantage in a lot of cases. Um, and uh, you know, I think that um, there, there are aspects that I can't speak to, but the things that I am aware of uh, are really cool and they're impressive. Mm -hmm. And they kind of expand uh, 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 the scope of what we can do as a department. And then the commercial baseline piece, let's go down that path for a second because I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. This is the Zillow, is something we all can relate to, but it's also, yeah. okay, you're buying a house, right? You're not, you're not attacking or, or defending. Yeah. Uh, is, when it comes to, as, as you bring commercial ideas and services and, and technologies to DOD, what is their reaction? Are they, mm -hmm. okay, if we just make this 20% change or 10% change, or are they trying to still yeah. make the 50% or 80% change, which then causes more complexity? Uh, I'll be honest. So most I, of, I know. There's yeah, no answer, yes, yeah, to no, everything. Uh, look, most of the folks I work with or that we, you know, we have the honor to work with are, um, they're in more of the fight tonight camp, right? Um, again, whether on the business system side, on the operator side, or on the analyst side. Um, there's something mission critical and urgent that they're dealing with, and um, they want to go into that mission with the best possible tools and capabilities to win. Ultimately, right? They want every possible advantage, right? Nobody wants a fair fight. You want every, you know, unfair advantage you can take advantage of. Um, and so, um, so in, in most of those cases, I think what we see is that um, those folks are going to be the most discerning, and they're kind of probably going to be the most likely to take the ninety percent solution and adopt it mm -hmm. um, if they think it can give them some kind of advantage. Uh, I think what we're seeing for the longer term things, a lot of stuff that research labs are looking at and some of the, the futures folks, is um, they're, they're, I would say half are saying, all right, let's, let's take the 50% advantage and start there. I, you know, we are seeing a lot of duplication. We're still seeing people who want to start from scratch. You know, I've had you know, folks uh, really pitch me hard and believe, look, you know, we need a completely you know, start at zero software and hardware supply chain to, in order to have a, um, a secure supply chain for those capabilities. And I, I believe there are actually certain missions where that is absolutely essential. I think they are few and far between, and I think they're really kind of like very, 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 very last mile capabilities um, in, in extreme situations. I think for the 99% of capability, or 99% of situations from what we've seen or what I've seen, um, Really, you can start with commercial baseline, probably like a 70% and, and go a lot faster. And we need that. We need the DOD and industry to be partnered. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the, the company's been very direct about this. You know, we think uh, it's not about Silicon Valley versus Washington or anything like that. There's lots of great companies and extremely, extremely talented engineers that want to support and enable this mission uh, all over the country. And we should be taking advantage of them and creating opportunity for them. 
you mentioned supply chain. We could spend the whole show <laughs> on the supply chain, so we won't go down that path. <laughs> mm -hmm. But there are regulations, there are ethical issues, there are things yeah. that the DoD is different than the commercial sector. Absolutely. How are they starting to deal with that? I mean, we, we know there was a lot of pushback on some AI use in the, over mm -hmm. the last few years. How, how are you starting to see DoD kind of recognize that? I know uh, ethics and AI, and there, there's mm -hmm. a. Jake, for instance, just named a new person who's in charge yep. mm -hmm. uh, of uh, uh, looking at and considering ethics in AI. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that Jake and some of the work Elka Patel had done prior in that space um, before I think she'd left the department. But um, I think that the Jake is helping there. I think that there's a lot of folks thinking about this on the NSC. I think there's a lot of folks just in OST generally thinking about it. Um, look, the thing that I strongly believe um, is, you know, I'm always going to bet on that warfighter, on that general, on that commander who has if you will, that deep responsibility. Um, we need to make sure that the AI that we're building is thoughtful, that it is, uh, that we're aware, because like, it's very hard to pull bias out of data sets, but that we're aware of the biases that it's trained upon, that we're aware of the context that it's trained upon. Um, you know, Palantir has provided thoughts and feedback um, to NSCAI and to NIST and other organizations on how to do this well, and we have some good experience doing it. Um, but at the end of the day, this is kind of where that human in the loop is so critical uh, for where we are with AI right now. Because AI is fallible, let's be very clear, just like humans. Uh, AI is fallible, and um, especially because the AI is only going to be as good as the data it is trained upon, and that data is also coming from sensors and capabilities that have errors. Um, you know, we need ultimately a human kind of for that, that final decision to, to, to make that decision. And I think the department has taken a pretty good stance on that. And I think what you're seeing from DOD is to adjust some of those ethical and bias considerations is really trying to improve their data. You mentioned David Absolutely. Markowitz, the, the Army CDO, mm -hmm. uh, David Spurk, the, the DOD CDO, yep. also are, are trying to look at these governance issues as well as uh, how to say, okay, what's the taxonomy? Are we all, if we yeah. call on a ship, a ship, a ship, what, what does that really mean to you, to me, and everybody else? So yeah. I, I think that's good. Um, let, let's maybe broaden this discussion out. How, when, when DOD starting to look at AI, when you talked about use cases earlier a little bit, where do they see some of those big use cases? Because yeah. DOD is all about, you know, they're, they're, they're about fighting wars and protecting the nation, and, and mm -hmm. you know, their mission is, is as clear as, you know, we have, uh, of course, one could argue it's getting muddier sometimes, but sure. let's take it from the, the military perspective and, and protecting the nation, fighting wars. How is DOD starting to kind of think about it, that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting in some of the early conversations with some of our AI work or supporting AI and DoD, one of the things that uh, was really reinforced with me is like, hey, just remember, it's the Department of Defense, right? It's the Department of Defense. We want to live in deterrence 100% of the time if we can. And I think that um, the department is, is trying to embrace AI as a mechanism to be a deterrent, right? And um, you, again, you see this with the notion of information dominance, right? With decision advantage, these types of terms, right? Sure, you need you know all domain command and control in a defeat scenario or a scenario where you, you know you are in conflict. But by actually building those advanced capabilities um, and actually giving us the ability to make better decisions along the way, I think the hope is ultimately, especially with our peer-like adversaries, to deter, right? And I think AI is a critical aspect of that. There's so much more we could talk to, but unfortunately, mm -hmm. we're out of time for today. So let me thank my guest, Aki Jane, is the Chief Technology Officer and President of the U.S. Government for Palantir. Aki, I really, very much enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller. You've been listening to the discussion, Technology and Great Power Competition, AI, Complexity, and Competition, sponsored by Palantir on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Palantir.
Thank you for listening to the discussion, Technology and Great Power Competition, AI, Complexity and Competition, sponsored by Palantir on Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission.